what's happening in the world coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. Two helicopters collided while battling a fire in Southern California, killing three people. We have the latest from a Cal Fire official. Two conservative think tanks say not so fast to the Biden administration's plan to cancel nearly $40 billion in student loan debt. The dispute over the floating border barrier in Texas now has a hearing date. It's an effort to determine whether the barrier is legal. A DEI educator is fired after challenging the status quo at a university in California. We have the details. And a breakthrough for fusion energy. Scientists in the U.S. achieved a net energy gain for the second time. Find out what this means for the nation's energy future. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news, a collision yesterday in Southern California. Two firefighting helicopters crashed while battling a blaze. Officials say three people were killed. Although this was a tragic event, we are also thankful today that it wasn't worse. The individuals in the first helicopter were able to land safely without incident and no one else was hurt. The accident occurred in Riverside County. One helicopter landed safely, yet the other went down. Victims on board included a Cal Fire Division chief, a Cal Fire captain, and a contract client pilot. The helicopters were fighting a structure fire. The blaze spread to surrounding vegetation, and a full wildland fire dispatch was initiated. The crash started another four-acre fire, but it was extinguished. Investigation is underway by the National Transportation Safety Board. Biden's new student debt plan sued. The president hopes to cancel nearly $40 billion in student loan debt, but two conservative think tanks filed a lawsuit on Friday. They say the administration overstepped its power when it announced loan forgiveness for 800,000 borrowers. Just weeks before, the Supreme Court struck down a broader cancellation plan pushed by President Biden. The new plan is billed as one-time adjustment in record-keeping. It pushes the 800,000 borrowers past a time limit threshold when their debt expires. The suit says it's illegal and asks the judge to stop the Education Department from carrying it out while the case is decided. It was filed by the new Civil Liberties Alliance on behalf of the Mackinac Center for Public Policy and the Cato Institute. Concerns are growing over ransomware attacks on schools. To discuss this growing problem, the White House saying today it's gathering superintendents and education tech experts. They will look at ways to bolster cybersecurity. Officials say they will also be creating a new council to coordinate between the government and educational institutions. According to the White House, at least eight states saw ransomware attacks against schools last year. In some cases, sensitive information like medical or behavioral histories were stolen and released online. A woman hired to direct a college's Office of Equity, Social Justice, and Multicultural Education soon encountered fierce opposition from within. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the tenure and termination of an educator charged with reducing the so-called wokeness of an institution. Tabia Lee is a lifelong educator. Even as an elementary school child in the Gifted and Talented program, she spent a lot of time tutoring her peers. Her commitment to education led her to De Anza College. 
One of her tasks was to reduce the so-called wokeness of the institution, which had experienced conflicts with the staff. But Lee soon realized that her colleagues had a different understanding of social justice than she had. So for example, um, from a classical social justice, you would be really emphasizing things like equality of opportunity. Um, and that's very different from a critical social justice approach. They're emphasizing like what is a just society? That's one where we have equal outcomes. Lee says an academic Senate racial healing resolution had the line, we acknowledge that America is a systemically racist country founded on white supremacy. Lee suggested adding that America is founded on the principles of fairness and equality and says there was a backlash. They said, absolutely not. Um, how could you challenge that we're founded on white supremacy? I said, well, not everyone believes that, you know, and myself included. I'm, I'm one of the people who's saying, you know, we're founded on fairness and equality. Whether we've lived up to that or not, we can debate. But to say that we're founded on white supremacy and that racism is everywhere and systemic, that's problematic. She ran into similar trouble over the Women's Gender and Sexuality Office at the university. There were complaints about white faculty not feeling comfortable going there. She was told that the office was structured for black indigenous people of color and that's who should be there. From my perspective, we're a public school. Anyone should be able to come into that Women, Gender and Sexuality Center. Maybe there's a resource or a book. They want to come somewhere and feel like they're not being judged. They just want to explore things. They may want to change their you know, major, whatever it may be. I don't think it should be by their race. It should be by, I'm curious about these three topics that this office represents. And I was shouted down and told, you know, I was attempting to whitewash the history of the office. That wasn't the last time she'd hear the term whitewashing. Charged with leading a strategic transformation of the campus, Lee wanted to create some structure and made a Google Doc to track agendas and team meetings. One of the staff members uh, stopped me and said, you know, stop what you're doing um, right now. What you're doing is you're white speaking and you're white splaining and you're being a white supremacist. You're being transactional. And I'm like, how dare they call me? I'm a black woman, you know, and I'm being called a white supremacist. You know, that had never happened in my entire teaching career. And not only that, I had never seen teachers, you know, calling each other names like that. Lee says her supervisor also wanted her to go to a training on decentering whiteness throughout the system and soon realized that whether something qualified as decentering whiteness justified doing it or not. After two years, Lee was terminated for her non-conforming perspectives and inquiry-based approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion. However, all the positive feedback and support she has received for daring to ask why and attempting to right a ship she felt had lost its way have made it all worth it. According to Lee, that's what it's going to take to take the nation back. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. NTD reached out to De Anza College about the allegations regarding decentering whiteness and their women's gender and sexuality program. They didn't respond before broadcast time. When we come back, a border security expert discloses examples of child sex trafficking. Find out what he says about solutions to the problem. And seven Massachusetts state troopers won their COVID vaccine refusal case and must be reinstated with back pay. That story after the break. Welcome back. The dispute over the floating border barrier in Texas now has a hearing date. A federal judge chose August 22nd to determine if the barriers on the Rio Grande are legal. 
The Justice Department is asking for a preliminary injunction and wants the barriers removed in Eagle Pass, a Texas city that borders Mexico. Governor Greg Abbott says the barriers are part of the state's efforts to curb illegal immigration at the southern border. The DOJ says Texas deployed the barriers without authorization and workers should remove them. Child sex trafficking is, quote, absolutely happening at the southern border. Those are the words of Todd Benzman, senior national security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies and author of Overrun, how Joe Biden unleashed the greatest border crisis in U.S. history. His statement comes in response to critics of a film about child sex trafficking, Sound of Freedom. I spoke with him about his rebuttal. Todd Benzman, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Todd, critics of the film Sound of Freedom have said the film exaggerates the problem of child sex trafficking. As someone who spends a lot of the time at the uh, a lot of time at the border talking to officials on both sides as well as migrants and even cartel members, what's the true situation and scope of child sex trafficking at the border? Well, it's absolutely happening. Uh, this is a case where this is a, a, a problem where when you have mass migration at this scale, when it's when it's so historic, the numbers of children being trafficked and young women, too, is going to go up. It's just that simple. When you have border security, when things are tight, when fewer people are crossing, you're going to have fewer victims of tra sex trafficking. That's just the way it is. And in your recent article pushing back against the critics of Sound of Freedom, you gave an example of a bordello for child sexual bondage in Texas. Tell us about that. Right. So this is not just, um, you know, crazy Hollywood doing, uh, you know, a, a cinematic over-dramatization. Uh, these are court, real court cases that are coming from the Biden administration's Department of Justice recently. Well, one of these cases describes a bordello that was in operation for 20 years in Mission, Texas, without anybody interfering or intervening, that specialized in bringing young Mexican girls over that border and gang-pressing them into sexual slavery. They only just ended this last year uh, during the Biden administration. Uh, when one of the uh, victims managed to escape and get information out about it. Uh, this was just a horrendous case where uh, uh, the owner, a, a woman, and her, uh, and her son uh, would just beat these women every day, uh, threaten to withhold children if they had any, unless they worked uh, the sex trade, and they, they uh, did this uh, for 20 years. And what safeguards are in place to ensure unaccompanied minors aren't being trafficked at the southern border? The biggest safeguard that was in place for the Trump administration was rapid DNA testing at the border. If you brought a kid over, you had to wait in line for a little while and then get your cheeks swabbed. Uh, and often people that were waiting in that line would just break and just say, hands up, okay, you got me. I'm not even going to go through this. That's not my kid. Uh, the Biden administration ended all rapid DNA testing on May 31st with no explanation, probably one of the most horrendous and terrible acts against humanity that I have seen yet.
from this administration. And in closing here, what can be done to solve this problem? Deter illegal immigration by deporting immediately families that come through. Mexico is an oil state. They're perfectly capable of taking care of these families, uh, just as, as well as uh, uh, the United States or anyone else. They're uh, oil rich. Uh, they have a, uh, a modern economy. Uh, take them off the border and go take care of them in Mexico so that they don't try to cross the border into the United States and ultimately don't even try into Mexico uh, where there's sex trafficking there too. That's, that's what it's all about, deterrence so that they stay home. Todd Benzman, thank you again for joining us. Thank you. An Arkansas police officer was caught in the net of a recent child sex trafficking sting in Texas. The officer was charged with online solicitation of a minor. He had worked for the Texarkana, Arkansas Police Department since 2016. The sting by the Texas Police Department also led to two other arrests. Police posted a fake advertisement on a prostitution site and posed as an underage girl when contacted. Police say all three men still wanted to meet up with the girl, even after she told them she was underage. When the suspects showed up and knocked, they were met with several police officers instead. Seven Massachusetts state troopers won their COVID vaccine refusal case and must be reinstated with back pay. An independent arbitrator ruled in favor of the state troopers last Friday. They will receive full back pay dating from 2022. The arbitrator found that former Governor Charlie Baker and the state police department violated the troopers' rights to anti-discrimination and affirmative action. A press release said troopers weren't given reasonable accommodations for their sincerely held religious beliefs. Another sign that the remote work era is ending, a company that makes working from home possible is asking its employees to return to the office. For now, Zoom employees are only required to be on site two days a week. The new hybrid approach applies to people who live near one of its workplaces. Zoom says the structure is more effective for the company. The announcement follows similar ones from Google, Amazon, and Salesforce, despite pushback from employees. Zoom faces waning demand that caused it to cut about 15% of its staff this year. Drivers in Oregon are now doing something nearly all Americans are allowed to. They're pumping their own gas. Governor Tina Kotek signed a new law on Friday that reverses a ban on self-service dating back to 1951. Oregon becomes the 49th state to allow self-service. New Jersey is the only state left where attendants pump gas in a person's vehicle. While self-service is now allowed in Oregon, there are some restrictions. The new law limits the number of self-service stations to 50% in the state's 16 most populous counties. And stations that offer full service cannot charge more than self-service stations. After the break, the U.S. military activates when Chinese and Russian ships get too close to the coast of Alaska. What are the dangers of incidents like this? And Elon Musk vows to pay legal fees for anyone who was fired because of a Twitter post. He says there's no limit to the funding. Find out why he is getting involved after the break.
Thanks for staying with us. The U.S. military responds to Chinese and Russian warships near Alaska. American ships and planes were deployed to escort the 11 vessels away from U.S. waters. The ships were part of a joint China-Russia naval operation. The fleet has been described as the biggest joint force to ever approach the U.S. Here to discuss is international military strategist, retired Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gobb. Lieutenant Colonel Gobb spent 28 years in military service with seven years in command and three years training military forces for combat. Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gobb, thank you for joining us again. Hey, good morning and, and good evening, by the way, and it's great to join you today. <laughs> Colonel, does this action elevate the risk of an incident that could make relations between US, the U.S. and China and Russia worse? Sure, it could, absolutely. Now, anytime you put a, a lot of ships or any other kind of military forces in the same place and then mess around on someone's borders very closely. You, you've always run the incident of something happening that may not have even been intended. But um, I think that the, the odds based on this incident seem to be increasing every day. And could that kind of incident spark an, armed, an actual armed conflict here? Uh, it always has the potential to. And it could be because it's not, in, even though it's not intended, or it could be because that is the actual result they're seeking. If we were to be more aggressive or to make a, um, a mistake in what we're doing in our response, it could cause them to escalate their response to us and blame us for what happened and uh, not what they were doing. Yeah, when I look at the situation, it's almost like I see a bunch of like dry leaves next to a pile of matches and like some gasoline spilled over. It just, yeah, it doesn't look pretty. Um, how does this recent incident compare to the Chinese spy balloon incident? I just think it's one more thing that we need to be looking at and be concerned about because it's not just the spy balloon, which frankly, I've always compared the spy balloon to just a public face of something they've been doing to us for decades in China. But uh, if you look at you know, Russian air forces in Syria and what we're doing and Russia's doing in Ukraine and the proximity of our forces and sort of a proxy war going on almost now logistically, uh, all of these things really lead to the potential for something uh, sparking that pile of leaves you mentioned, and it wouldn't be hard to do. Why do you think these countries have chosen this moment in particular for this kind of harassment? Well, I think this moment is chosen because of this administration. And it starts off with uh, almost two years ago to the day now when we surrendered in Afghanistan. It really showed the world that we are no longer a strong player, that we are going to act out of weakness and cowardice, and we're not going to do the things that need to be done. And they may realize that that window is closing, depending on how the 24 elections go. And so they're going to seek to take advantage of that. And, and to whatever end, uh, we don't know yet. But uh, if I were them putting myself in their shoes, I would look at a weak administration and say, now's the time to do something, wh whatever that may be. And when you say weak administration, you know, what are you pointing to specifically? You know, you mentioned the Afghanistan withdrawal. Yeah, the, the Afghanistan withdrawal was one thing. And the follow-on actions to Afghanistan, both Russia with Ukraine and then China working harder to uh, escalate things and, and, and harass Taiwan. Uh, you see Russian forces harassing our drones and other forces in Syria. And all of these things, as you, as you look from the major to the minor, what you see 
are two countries, China and Russia, working in concert as they, um, you know, some of the pieces on their border include Syria and Iran and what's going on in Israel. And all these pieces really tie together back to this administration not taking any kind of decisive action or, or sending, you know, comprehensible messages to the world at large saying, hey, we're here to do our part to make sure we help keep the peace. They just don't believe it. And uh, frankly, I don't believe it either. Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gobb, thank you for your time. Thank you and have a wonderful evening. Do you feel you've been mistreated by your employer because of a social media post? Elon Musk may help you out. He says he will foot the legal bills of those treated unfairly of posts on X, formerly known as Twitter. In a post on Saturday, Musk pledged to support potential lawsuits regardless of their scale and said there would be no limit to funding legal bills. He added he would start a PR campaign against campaign companies who put punish employees for their posts. Musk's offer follows his lawsuit against the Center for Countering Digital Hate. He alleges the organization created a scare campaign to drive away advertisers by claiming hate speech has increased since Musk took over. The organization's founder replied that Musk is trying to shoot the messenger who highlights toxic content on the X platform. More on Elon Musk, the possible cage fight between him and Mark Zuckerberg might be streamed on the X platform, formerly known as Twitter. That's according to Elon Musk. He posted on social media that he was lifting weights throughout the day, preparing for the fight. Musk added that all proceeds will go to charity for veterans. The tuck moguls have been egging each other into a mixed martial arts match since June, but neither Musk nor Zuckerberg has confirmed whether an agreement has been reached on the fight. When a user on X asked Musk the point of the fight, Musk responded, It's a civilized form of war. Men love war. A record fine of nearly $300 million for a large-scale robocall scam. The Federal Communications Commission penalized the car warranty scammers. The SEC says it is the largest such network that has ever been investigated. The agency says the globe-spanning operation violated U.S. telecom laws when it made more than 5 billion robocalls to more than half a billion phone numbers over the course of three months in 2021. But the FCC says the operation had been in existence for even longer and stretched back to 2018. The ringleaders, Roy Melvin Cox Jr. and Aaron Michael Jones, were repeat offenders and were under lifetime bans against making telemarketing calls. The FCC has now directed all U.S.-based voice providers to stop business with certain members in the enterprise. The agency says as a result, illegal auto warranty robocalls have dropped by 99%. And another heads up from the FCC, in the fall, all cell phones will be part of a nationwide emergency alert test. FEMA and the FCC have scheduled for drill for October 4th at 2.20 p.m. Eastern Time. You can expect your cell phone to receive an alert that reads, This is a test of the National Wireless Emergency Alert System. No action is needed. The test message may pop up in Spanish, depending on your settings. FEMA and the FCC say they're coordinating with wireless providers, emergency managers, and others to avoid confusion. 
The reason for the test is to make sure all systems are prepared in case of a national emergency. It is said to be the second time that all cell phones are tested. Radios and televisions will also be tested that same day, and that test will last approximately one minute. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. After the break, fears are mounting among Orthodox Jews in the UK. They say the government is interfering with their faith-based education. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Three people died when two firefighting helicopters crashed in California. Officials are glad it wasn't worse as one of the helicopters landed safely. Two think tanks are suing Biden over his new plan to cancel nearly $40 billion in student debt. They say the administration overstepped its power when announcing loan forgiveness for 800,000 borrowers. Texas's floating border barriers have a court date August 22nd. They were set to deter illegal immigration, but the DOJ is seeking to remove them. Faith-based education is facing a blow in the UK. A new initiative calls on all homeschooled children to get registered, but religious groups see the move as state interference in education. Let's zoom in. Step inside the classroom of an orthodox Haredi Jewish school in London, where the pupils' faith-based education is feared to be at risk of state intrusion. Leave us alone, allow us to be ourselves, to allow us to keep our identity. This is basically a campaign which is to completely eradicate our belief in God. 15-year-old Yossi Hamilton and his peers pore over sacred texts, as their Jewish ancestors did for over 2,000 years. It's part of a curriculum that he says prepares him for his future. But really, what I want to do for the rest of my life is, or oh, as, as, as long as possible, um, I, I, want to, I want to sit and ponder the Tal Talmudical texts. But, but, and, but uh, as, long as, as long as I can, after that, then I can go out into the workforce and add to the English economy. This special faith-based education, taught in private schools or at home, is profoundly important to his strictly orthodox community. There are 80,000 Haredi Jews in Britain, many of whom are the descendants of Holocaust survivors and are extremely protective of their way of life. But the community, along with some Muslim and Christian groups in Britain, is deeply troubled by a new proposal backed by the British government to register all homeschooled children. Although the proposed new legislation wouldn't directly affect pupils in schools, such as Hamilton's, Faith groups see it as the state exercising more control over education and fear it could ultimately lead to new rules on what children are taught, both at home and at school. We go out to um, all-age homes and sing for the people. So Rabbi Svi Levovics is one of the head teachers at Hamilton School. And uh, I'm really proud of this, you know. We've been around for thousands of years, as you know, if you read the history. And the only reason that we've survived until now is because of the education. And once that is uprooted or undermined, we will lose our children. So we really feel it's a threat. 
In Britain, all children from the age of five must be in full-time education. They can be in state school, private schools or home educated. The government says it needs the new legislation as there's no legal obligation to report whether a child is homeschooled. It estimates more than 86,000 children were being taught at home as of early 2023. Conservative lawmaker Flick Drummond is behind the bill in England. She says the legislation has no intention of targeting faith communities. I want every local authority to know exactly where the children in their local, you know, in their area, where they are and how they're being educated. They won't be allowed to say, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. That is not the point of the bill at all. There are children falling through the net at the moment. They're the ones that I'm really concerned about. Once local authorities know a child is being homeschooled, they're able to check, just as in schools, that the quality of the education is suitable. The definition of suitable and who defines it is the sticking point. At present, it's defined as including numeracy, literacy and skills to equip them for life within the wider community. Hamilton's high school in North London was deemed not to have met this mark. For you to list all the names together. The pupil's nine-hour day begins with intense learning of the Talmud, a study of Jewish law, and is followed by core subjects such as maths and English, as well as sports. But lessons amid the modules on sex education and sexual diversity typically taught to their secular peers, which are deemed inappropriate or contrary to biblical teachings by the school. The boys leave at the age of 16 to pursue advanced religious studies before marriage and careers, typically in commerce. An inspection by Ofsted, the government's educational standards office, found that the school's teaching didn't pay enough regard to respecting gender and sexual orientation, saying it limited pupils' preparation for life in modern Britain. Despite government assurances about the intentions of the register, the Haredim, like rabbis Sher Grat and Herschel Gluck, fear interference. And Judaism for us is our identity. It's the very essence of who we are. And therefore, to deny the Jewish community the ability to pass over, to transmit Judaism from one generation to the next, well, that is the very basis of what this legislation is, at, is attempting to achieve, is denying the very air that we breathe from the Jewish community. The children will be required to violate fundamental uh, religious uh, uh, laws and, and values. And um, this would be putting our way of life at risk. This is basically a campaign which is to completely eradicate our belief in God. It's very good that the government are trying to raise the standards of education in, throughout England. But, if, but if, you, if you look at it, I think they should, instead of looking at what they think we should be doing, they should look at the results. The boys that come out, are they, are they good? Are they emotionally healthy? Can they, can they join the workforce? Are they, are they enjoying what they're doing? Etc, etc. And then they should base them, their, their evaluation of the school on that, rather than on what they think we should be doing. Coming up, a US lab takes another step toward nuclear fusion energy. Find out what the breakthrough is and what it could mean for the future.
and watermelons are growing in one of the coldest places on Earth. Scientists in Antarctica have made the impossible a reality. We'll be back with more on that when we return. Thanks for staying with us. A major breakthrough in nuclear fusion. The U.S. has achieved a net energy gain in a fusion reaction for a second time, taking a key step toward a future of unlimited energy. Here's more. U.S. scientists have repeated what appears to be an energy breakthrough, a nuclear fusion reaction that gave off more energy than went into it for a second time after months of near misses. Fusion is a reaction that takes place in the sun and is hoped replicating that could one day lead to a source of near limitless and clean energy. Scientists at the California-based Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory say they repeated the feat in an experiment in late July, after they achieved it first in December using lasers. But this time, a lab spokesperson said the scientists were able to produce an even higher energy yield but that final results are still being analyzed. The experiment is trying to replicate fusion through so-called nuclear ignition. It involves focusing a laser on a target fuel to fuse two lighter atoms, such as hydrogen, to form heavier elements and in the process release a burst of energy. The December trial generated around 3 megajoules of energy output after the laser delivered a little over 2 megajoules to the target. The U.S. Energy Department called it a major scientific breakthrough decades in the making. While experts outside the lab have applauded the advancement since December, they told Reuters much more work is needed to make fusion power commercially viable. A new race car battery takes just four minutes to charge. The developers in the Netherlands say it's the fastest charging electric battery in the world. NTD's Andrew Thomas hits the racetrack. Race car driving is a dream for those with a need for speed. And this dream can now be electric powered, thanks to a new design. By implementing very special designs in our battery pack, we can make sure that our batteries can charge really quick. The LMP3 race car runs on electric batteries that can fully charge in just four minutes. But last week we presented a battery pack that can charge in four minutes and to be precise it can charge in three minutes and 56 seconds and therefore we've presented the fastest charging electric uh, race car in the world. Coolant plates prevent the battery from overheating during rapid charging. So to uh, charge cars uh, uh, fast, uh, uh, cooling is essential. This is uh, mainly because uh, lithium cells generate heat while charging. Uh, and this heat can be a limiting factor uh, because the cells will get too hot. Reducing the charging time makes electric vehicles more convenient and more accessible. The team also hopes their work will inspire young people. Yeah, we of course see the future electric. Uh, we think that a lot of people, with, especially with these charging times, will start uh, driving more electric. But we also hope to, um, yeah, inspire students to do technical studies, to come in the field of engineering. After testing the LMP3 race car with their new battery pack, the InMotion team hopes to compete in the Garage 56 race at Le Mans in France. The division promotes and showcases developing and innovative technology. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
Israel is turning to drones and AI to protect its natural gas deposits. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the nation's efforts to counter potential attacks. This drone approaches the Mediterranean coastline from an airstrip in northern Israel. Dozens of potential threats appear on a control room screen. Well, basically, it's a fully autonomous uh, platform. That's mean we don't have to fly it. It's flying by himself. The operator just monitoring the platform, but it's flying by itself and collecting the data by itself. A new artificial intelligence-based system organizes threats into categories. The AI helps Israel protect a maritime area larger than the country itself. Huge natural gas deposits have been discovered in the eastern Mediterranean over the past 15 years, but it gives the country's enemies more targets. Today, the system takes all the vast amount of target in the area. It can be 100, 1,000, doesn't matter. It's a machine and can give you an alert on specific target that this is the risky target that you need to investigate. Hamas controls a sizable arsenal in Gaza, south of Israel. The Iran-backed Lebanese group Hezbollah to the north poses a more formidable threat. It sent three unarmed drones toward a gas rig last year. Israel was able to intercept the aircraft. Now, with the size of 200 miles from coastline, actually you need over-the-horizon capabilities. And the only um, ability to do that is with, with uh, aircraft. And with the increased offshore activity, being able to monitor threats in real time is even more critical. Watermelon, a tropical fruit, is harvested in a most unlikely place, Antarctica, one of the coldest, most extreme locations on the planet. A small greenhouse was installed at the Vostok Research Facility in Antarctica. The area holds the world's record for the coldest temperature at ground level, nearly negative 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Scientists picked this watermelon species based on its ability to thrive in low pressure and low oxygen conditions. Their taste and smell are like watermelons from Astrakhan. Everyone liked them a lot. Each day, everyone visited the watermelons and observed their growth with great interest. Researchers say growing vegetables and berries lifted their spirits. The team has to stay in cramped living stations for long periods of time, sometimes barely seeing natural light. Coming up, a unique event in the Baltics, a stag calling competition. Enthusiasts hope to be named the champion at imitating the prize deer. We'll have more on that when we return. Welcome back, everyone. An annual water buffalo race. Thai farmers braved sizzling temperatures for the tradition on Sunday. It marks the beginning of race, rice cultivation during the monsoon season. More than 60 buffalo, large and small, competed along a dirt track more than 600 feet long. The race was held in the Napa sub-district, about 50 miles southeast of the capital, Bangkok. The purpose is to conserve cultural traditions, allowing the younger generation to understand that we've been practicing rice cultivation with the help of buffaloes for a long time within our local communities and cities. The race dates back to the 19th century. The district mayor hopes this event will serve as a reminder of the historic role of buffalo in agriculture. It's also a way to show appreciation for these invaluable beasts of burden. 
grunts, croaks, and hollers. Enthusiasts battled to be named champion stag caller over the weekend. The unique event is gaining traction in the Baltic countries. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the hunt for victory. Competitors from Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia came together for a stag calling event on Saturday. Participants were scored on their ability to imitate different red deer calls. It is very exciting when you can talk to the animals in the forest and understand what you are saying and what they are saying back. So all my colleagues and I go. We don't just talk to the deer, we talk to the wolves, the roe deer, and others. There were 23 participants in this year's seventh annual contest. Organizers say the event is becoming more popular. If we know the story behind each category of the sound, then we know how it should be presented, not only to the public, but also to our jury. Every category has its own story and you can learn it, but when it comes to the forest, of course, we are working there. As part of the competition, the contestants have to adhere to a strict dress code. Traditional hunting attire is required. Stag calls are the only sounds breaking the silence during the competition. Participants aren't allowed to communicate with the audience or talk to each other. In real hunting, you call in a completely different way to call the animal to lure it and hunt it. Here we call for human ears to give maximum enjoyment and understanding of nature and the events and processes within it, how a young deer behaves after a bugle call. The auditions are blind. A panel of judges rates contestants based only on the sounds they perform. The best prize uh, is waiting me in the forest because, yeah, to, to find, to call and to actually harvest uh, a mature red stag is for me the gold medal. The winner of the competition will participate in next year's Stag Calling European Championship in Poland. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. On this episode of Strong Mind and Body, we get some tips on how to look after your husband. These tips come from a book that was published in the 1950s. In traditional culture, wives were taught to be like water, to bring harmony to the mountain of the home, their husband, and to be the river that nurtures and forever quenches the thirst of reprieve from the darkness of the outside world. While strong husbands have always held the wolves at bay, women have, since time immemorial, held the home together. This is thanks to their grace, their love, and their spirit of strength. Here are some tips on how to improve your home life from the 1950s. Number one, have dinner ready. Plan ahead, even the night before, to have a delicious meal on time. This is a way of letting your husband know that you have been thinking about him and are concerned about his needs. Most men are hungry when they come home and the prospects of a good meal are part of the warm welcome needed. Number two, prepare yourself. Take 15 minutes to rest so you will be refreshed when he arrives. Touch up your makeup, put a ribbon in your hair and be fresh looking. He has just been with a lot of work weary people. Be a little gay and a little more interesting. His boring day may need a lift. Number three, clear away the clutter. Make one last trip through the main part of the house just before your husband arrives. Gather up school books, toys, paper, and so on. Then run a dust cloth over the tables. Your husband will feel he has reached a haven of rest and order and it will give you a lift too. Number four, prepare the children. Take a few minutes to wash the children's hands and faces if they are small. Comb their hair and if necessary, change their clothes. They are little treasures and he would like to see them playing the part. Number five, minimize the noise. 
at the time of his arrival eliminate all noise of the washer, dryer, dishwasher and vacuum cleaner. Try to encourage your children to be quiet and greet him with a warm smile and be glad to see him. Number 6. Some don'ts don't greet him with problems or complaints. Don't complain if he's late for dinner. Count that as a minor compared to what he might have gone through that day. Number seven, make him comfortable. Have him lean back in a comfortable chair or suggest he lie down in the bedroom. Have a cool or warm drink ready for him. Arrange his pillow and offer to take off his shoes. Speak in a low, soft, soothing and pleasant voice. Allow him to relax and unwind. Number eight, listen to him. You may have dozens of things to tell him, but the moment of his arrival is not the time. Let him talk first. And number nine, make the evening his. Never complain if he does not take you out to dinner or to other places of entertainment. Instead, try to understand his world of strain and pressure and his need to be at home so he can relax. The goal is to try to have your home a place of peace and order where your husband can relax. Those are some tips on how to look after your husband from the 1950s. A thief in California took some time to pet the family dog before stealing an expensive bike. It was all caught on security video last month. Take a look. The video shows the burglary about the burglary suspect about to leave on a family's electric bike when this friendly golden retriever came out from the house. He stops and gives the dog lots of attention and pets. You can also hear the suspect say, you're the coolest dog I've ever known. I love you too. Police in San Diego say they're releasing the video to help find the suspect. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.